there's a really good saying uh, someone told me, which is you don't want to uh, get seduced into playing at somebody else's game just because they have a fancy stadium. So do what you're good at and, and really maximize that. Welcome to the Insurance Innovators Unscripted, the show dedicated to innovation in the insurance industry. Each episode, you'll get a dose of thought leadership from the industry's top business minds, influencers, innovators, and executive leaders. If you want to transform your corner of the industry and exchange innovative ideas, you need to subscribe to this podcast. Now here's your host, Abel Travis. Hey everyone, welcome to the Insurance Innovators Unscripted podcast dedicated to the topic of insurance innovation. So today I have the pleasure of speaking with Peter Colas. Now, Peter is the CEO of Ethos, a company that makes life insurance modern and ethical. Now, Ethos uses predictive technology to expedite the application process from 10 weeks down to 10 minutes. Peter, it is great to have you here on the podcast. Welcome. Abel, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Hey, so, uh, you know, I I always take the opportunity to really uh, look at things that you might have done in your past history. And when I look at Peter, you know, I don't see that necessarily you came from the insurance industry and you had somewhat of a broad background. So, you know, if you don't mind, you know, talk to me a little a little bit about your backstory prior to launching Ethos. Absolutely. Well, uh, it's great to be here. I started life in the Midwest in Chicago, which is a great insurance city. Um, I first learned about the business from my grandfather, who had a very traditional PNC commercial brokerage uh, based out of Chicago. Um, And I, uh, you know, as a kid, was working in the filing room and, uh, you know, just trying to learn as much as I could about the business. and when I uh, finished college, I had always been quite interested in life insurance as a function of this. And specifically, I was interested in um, the permanent life insurance market and the potential, uh, you know, the potential benefits of a secondary market for permanent life insurance and whether consumers could benefit from having a more liquid market. And so I came to business school. I met my co-founder today, and we started another life insurance-related business called Ovid at first, uh, trying to build that secondary liquid market to help consumers unlock the equity value of their permanent life insurance. Um, and, and through that, we ended up exploring ethos and eventually landing on the ethos business model instead. Yeah, that's it's really interesting. So, uh, you know, it's, it's very interesting as I hear people say that they might have uh, started in the filing room and, you know, those that started in the mail room. Um, and, and that um, gave a lot of folks the opportunity to really get to know another side of the business, which helped to, uh, in, in your case, it sounds like to, to really pique your interest and shape uh, a, a lot of um, what you're doing and what you think about the insurance industry in general. Now, um, as, as I think of Ethos, you know, uh, your uh, capability from what I know is one that's pretty transformative, but I, I'd love to hear from you, you know, so what exactly is Ethos, um, you know, and what was it in life insurance that made you really want to innovate this product? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, of kids are going to lose a parent before they're 15 years old. Uh, 70% of those families, if it was the breadwinner who they lost, they'd be bankrupt within three months. So for a product like life insurance, which is so important, we realized it shouldn't be so onerous to purchase. Um, So before Ethos, it's this, you know, process we all know of 
um, 15 weeks of hard selling agents and medical exams and blood tests and, uh, you know, getting rated down and nobody ever loved their life insurance process. And so our hope was to build a experience where you could get life insurance while you're in line at Starbucks. And that's what we did. Um, so ethos makes life insurance easy and accessible to get for a really broad range of families. Um, it takes 10 minutes. Most people do it on their mobile device and you're done. Yeah. You know, as, so I, I, I want to sort of talk about my experience getting life insurance just a couple of years ago. And, um, and, and it's interesting because as I, as I look at the life insurance industry, um, it truly is, at least from what we've seen up until a few years ago, one that's been unspoiled by innovation. And I think you'd probably say for more than 100 or so years, again, up until, uh, until a few, few years ago. Um, you know, so when I was getting my life insurance, I, I, of course, had to do the application and everything that goes along with that. But then I had to make sure that I can schedule time for a nurse to come to my house and draw blood and send the, you know, that back to the labs and get tested and everything in between that period and to the point that you're innovating against. Um, it absolutely took roughly about, uh, you know, uh, I think upwards of nine or 10 weeks, a month, uh, two and a half months or so uh, before I was able to finally bind that particular policy. Um, and, and the limit that I was going for at the time wasn't even a, a significantly substantial limit, which is why I was really surprised by that particular process. You know, so as I think about what you all are doing with Ethos, you know, what is it that's so different in comparison to incumbents that's providing life insurance? It's a really good question. We start with uh, putting the user first and really thinking about what would make them happy. Um, our first core value is we treat our customers like we treat our family. So I often ask, hey, would my mom like this experience, right? Would my dad like this experience? Um, and we do a lot of things very well. If you think about it, we're doing a, a couple things that are innovative. One is we're going direct to consumer and we're building a brand. The second is we're algorithmically underwriting people's life expectancies. And then the third is we are uh, in a very seamless manner, uh, on administrating these policies. Um, and so wrapped into that, there are a ton of core competencies. There's the ability to grow, to process customers at very high volumes, uh, with great customer experiences to adjudicate risk, um, to build software that can, that can manage all the administrative capabilities, to have risk-bearing entities who we can partner with who, who want to support and, and, and assume the risk that we're underwriting. So there are all these core competencies that we've built over the last couple of years, um, which put us in a very prime position to become a market leader in the space. Um, so it's a very different business than a traditional life insurance carrier. Uh, there's almost no semblance um, in our office as far as the people who we hire, what they're good at, um, you know, what they did before they came here, how they work with each other, um, the speed at which they work with each other. Um, it's it's a very different business. 
Yeah, no, that that makes uh, a lot of sense. And, um, and you mentioned something that I'm pretty interested in. So uh, as you think um, or as, as you mentioned that you are working with other organizations that are, are looking to take on the risk, um, is that um, uh, because you all are partnered with other um, insurance organizations and carriers that are, um, are, are in essence, taking the risk? And is, is Ethos um, sort of a not a risk bearing entity or, or how does that work? Are you all reinsured by another insurance carrier? Yeah, it, uh, very similar to what you just mentioned. Ethos is not a risk-bearing entity, and uh, you know the reason for that is in life insurance, it's quite capital-intensive to be a risk-bearing entity and a rated entity. And then two, it's not something that we necessarily add value at. We think about what value do we bring to this process, and we're not necessarily better at reserving or accounting or carrier compliance or these these things that are required for uh, being a licensed life insurance company and a party which is counter to a consumer in risk. So if you're a consumer, do you want to you know, sign up for a 30-year obligation with Ethos uh, where they're going to pay your family if you pass away in 29 years? Probably not. Ethos is two years old. <laughs> so... So um, we recognize what we're good at. We're intellectually honest about what we're good at, um, and we just try to stick to those things. Uh, there's a really good saying uh, someone told me, which is you don't want to uh, get seduced into playing at somebody else's game just because they have a fancy stadium. So do what you're good at and, and, and really maximize that. Yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense, actually. Um, um, and, and when I think about what you all have rolled out and designed, um, it, it really feels as if a lot of your core competencies and your core value, what you do really well, is on the technology side. So I'd, I'd like to, um, to to dig a little bit into that part of the process. Now, you know, as as you um, look at uh, where you all are, are going and what you all do, you know, you all clearly state that use predictive technology to expedite the application process and, um, and just to transform the insurance process in general. So, you know, um, first and foremost, um, explain to me what some of the underlying technologies are that's powering Ethos. Um, and then another question is, you know, as, as I think of uh, life insurance um, organizations or at least technology providers that are looking to transform life insurance organizations, you know, um, one of the ways that they're able to transform this space is not to have a policyholder go to a nurse. Um, but to take sort of um, a visual depiction through either um, a picture or some sort of a scan to then scan elements of uh, that person's being without having to have them physically go into um, a medical facility. So um, I wonder, um, is uh, Ethos um, also looking into a capability like that? Or is that a part of how you all leverage technology in order to provide a, a, a quote, a bindable quote within 10 minutes? So... Um, you're correct in that Ethos has a very different process. 99% of our customers don't get a medical exam or a blood test or a urine test. So it's a it's a vastly different consumer experience than the traditional experience of 15 weeks of medical exams and, and blood tests and all that junk. Um, so regarding your question about our technology, a lot of it I can't really talk about just because it's, it's proprietary. Um, Regarding the concept of underwriting based on somebody's photos, 
One of the things that we're acutely aware of is that the life insurance industry today has been a leader in non-discriminatory underwriting. And we're huge supporters of that regulation, which has led, led to that leadership. And so uh, information that you use in, in binding pricing decisions is fair credit reporting at compliant. It's uh, reportable, it's disputable, it's correctable. And so you ask yourself, if you're going to use a photograph that you scraped off of somebody's Facebook, is that really fair to them? Is it accurate? Um, you know, when was that photo taken? Was it taken on a bad day with bad light? Um, you know, what doesn't that picture paint about that person? Is it even the real person? Uh, is, is it the right person? So there are all these considerations which need to be taken into account before you would use a, 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 a source of information like that for, for formal underwriting. We don't use uh, photographs like that today um, for that reason. Uh, we are very big on uh, consumer privacy and only uh, absorbing information that they're aware of that we're absorbing and that they're comfortable sharing with us. Um, and then uh, just making sure that the information that we do use is as accurate as possible and uh, doesn't have a high degree of variance um, in the same way that a photograph from Facebook might have. That, that makes a lot of sense, right? And I think um, it uh, takes, um, I think to the point that you're making, some of the discriminatory practices that could potentially come with the photo or inaccuracies out of the process, right? Um, and, um, you know, leveraging other elements of your technology uh, could then help to drive um, the outcomes that you all are hoping to see uh, from the capability. Now, you know, with that said, um, I, number first and foremost, I want to say congratulations because you all um, fairly recently closed a, a pretty significant um, B round in terms of funding to help to fuel your growth, uh, transformation, and innovation. Um, and um, and you all uh, attracted a lot of investors, you know, from Sequoia, who's known for investing all the way through, um, you know, people uh, like Jay Z and Kevin Durant. <laughs> you know, so uh, if if you don't mind, you know. Talk to me about, you know, why you think uh, you've attracted investments from organizations like Sequoia in names like both uh, Jay-Z and Kevin Durant. Uh, absolutely. So I think it all starts with um, it all starts with the people who are our partners sharing our belief that there is this large problem to solve, which is. For a product as important as life insurance, you have to be, you know, pretty much financially and medically strip searched, and it's not fun. And it leads to people who don't get insured when they should get insured um, because they're deterred by that process. Uh, roughly 50% of Americans would rather go to the DMV and apply for a driver's license than just think about their life insurance needs. So it's not a fun topic. It's not sexy. It's not a Snapchat filter. Um, and it's a hard problem to solve. It's operationally intensive. It's an execution-related business. You've got all these external dependencies. You've got to operate beautifully and perfectly. So, so it's, it's a hard problem to solve, which is why it hasn't been solved before Ethos. And then you have our partners who also believed in our solution, which is an end-to-end -end platform that not only understands the consumer up front, but has insight all the way back into the underwriting decision and, and, and kind of back end of the stack. And it makes us a powerful force because you think about it today, a carrier 
doesn't know anything about its customers. A life insurance carrier has an agent and a paper application in between their customers and themselves. And that makes it very difficult for a carrier to build a direct-to-consumer business. And an agent doesn't understand anything once they submit an application about what happens in the process. And as a result, it kind of limits their ability to be effective. And so by having an end-to-end solution, um, we're really in a prime position to become a market leader. Uh, And then additionally, I think what resonated with all these partners is we have a higher purpose, which is we're protecting families and we're operating for the good of these families. Our product has an NPS score of 85, which is crazy in life insurance. There's never been another life insurance product like it that has an NPS, which is as high as driving a Tesla, higher than using your iPhone. So uh, to be able to do that, it's, it's a, we, we have a real shot at solving this big problem. And I think that's what resonated with all these partners, whether they're sophisticated venture capital firms or, um, you know, large influencers like Jay-Z. Yeah, no, that is um, that makes uh, so much sense. It's, uh, you know, just in relation to uh, the reasoning around why those um, organizations would be looking to partner with a, with a company like yours that that's really hoping to transform the life insurance space. Now, as I um, think about the entire life insurance process, I guess a, a question that I wanted to ask is um, uh, when the need for payment arises. So I know there are, um, are other insurance uh, backers that's uh, providing the capacity for Ethos. But um, are those payments being made um, from Ethos or from the uh, the organizations that's providing uh, providing capacity as, as one question? Um, and then my, my other question is, you know, um, and sort of the reason why I ask that is because, you know, as it comes to the point of having to actually pay out on the policy, sometimes it becomes really challenging because of the issues around understanding who the beneficiary is, especially as, um, you know, uh, time passes by and uh, changes may not have been made. So there's, uh, I, and I forgot the, the latest number, but I, I remember it's in the double digit billions of, of dollars in, um, in life insurance payments. Um, that's just sitting out there while organizations try to locate who the beneficiaries are. So when you all look at the entire process, um, are you also looking at it from the perspective of innovating the back end after the policy itself is executed? So I know a multitude of questions in that one, but would love to hear your thoughts around that. (laughs) Um, It's a great question. So Ethos today does not adjudicate claims. Um, and we don't pay out the claims. Our, our, our licensed entity partners uh, pay out those claims. Um, and again, it's because we don't really add value to the process. So the good news is in life insurance, the regulation about whether or not a claim should be paid is quite black and white. Uh, there's a contestability period under which if the person um, you know, very clearly f- – misstated something major about their health. Um, you know, it could void their claim. And then after that two-year contestability period, it's guaranteed that the claim is going to pay. And so as long as there's a proper beneficiary on file and that beneficiary is, uh, you know, there to um, file the claim, uh, it, it's quite a straightforward process, unlike auto insurance or some of these other uh, uh 
you know, categories where there's more ambiguity and more gray areas to what is owed legally. Um, and that regulation is really important because consumers need faith in the life insurance system. And as soon as, um, you know, faith is lost, that can be, you know, irreversible, where the industry spent 150 years building a reputation of credibility and, um, you know, a fortress balance sheet that will always pay its claim no matter what. And uh, as soon as consumers were to see that if that were not true, it, it would it would do a lot of harm. And that's why regulators are so uh, stringent on this and, and we're supportive of that regulation. You know, as um, as I uh, you know think about how you all are engaging with uh, some of your licensed partners, um, I could absolutely see all of the value that's coming from the uh, the technical capability that you're enabling um, as a part of your own value proposition. Now, um, I, I want to um, switch gears a little bit and talk somewhat about the industry, right? Because as I look at um, insurtechs like yourselves that are looking to innovate the insurance space, you know, um, of course, a lot of these insurtechs are, are looking for real problems and, and solving those problems that it becomes so much of a challenge for um, incumbents to to actually drive be just because it's 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 so difficult to try to steer a, a, a you know a very large ship um, especially as they're trying to to run the business and continue the level of profitability that they're at so you know partnering with insurtechs like yours I think is is quite effective from an engagement perspective to help to really drive um, innovation and transformation uh, through um, incumbent industries and with incumbent carriers. So, you know, from your perspective, you know, do you see technology as a key way for insurtechs to effectively engage with carriers? Um, and then given a lot of the legacy challenges with carriers, are you um, running up against any um, sort of legacy uh, challenges in deploying your capability um, with some of the licensed carriers that you partner with? It's a really good question. I think there, you know, my general uh, thought and assessment is across the life insurance industry, there are varying, um, varying strength of opinions about uh, requirement for innovation. There are some CEOs at large carriers who are acutely aware of, um, you know, potential for the industry to change over the next 15, 10 years. And then there are some who, are very much focused on their, um, you know, short-term results of, you know, increasing distribution through their existing channels and, and maximizing profit in the short term. And so when we consider partnering with either a carrier or a reinsurer, we look for people who are philosophically aligned um, in that they believe what we believe about what is possible in the industry and what the industry might look like in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Two, they have the um, operational capacity to run almost as quickly as we can, meaning um, they want to move quickly with us. They want to achieve something big. They want to do it fast. They don't want to spend years in committees and, uh, you know, kind of, Doing which is everything contrary to a, often a life insurance company's culture. Um, and then three, they have to want to build a very big business. So ethos is ambitious and uh, we're looking for ambitious partners. And so that's the lens at which we look uh, at potential partnerships. Um, we've been fortunate to have great partners. Um, 
And uh, I think there's great talent in the life insurance industry in all departments, whether it's underwriting, actuaries, uh, product development, uh, uh, you know, financials, management, et cetera. We've been very impressed with the overall skill set across the industry. I think one of the most interesting things to see is will this industry uh, correctly grapple with potential changes in the future and will they understand how to shift from a cultural mindset of risk management and balance sheet preservation only to risk management and uh, you know, innovation and, and growth orientation and reinventing themselves. And that's a very hard thing to do if for 150 years your company and your culture have operated in a certain way. And I think some of these management teams are going to be up to the task, but um, it's all very early for them. It's the very early innings uh, in, their, in their history, in their book of transformation. Yeah, and, and I, I have to say, though, you know, I see um, a, a lot of this. And, and while the industries are different, um, there's there's still there's still some um, underlying components that's really similar. But I, I see a lot of what's been playing out in the PNC space um, and, and in the PNC space. You know, there are um, insure techs that are doing things that's across the gamut. Right. There are some that's looking to enable um, a carrier's capability. Right. Um, and enable the carrier to, to transform and innovate. But at the same time, and, I, and also some of this is playing out in the life insurance space, there are organizations that's absolutely looking to really come in and innovate. And, and while I don't like to use the word disrupt, um, you know, they, they are looking um, to disrupt the traditional business models um, just as a part of what their um, value proposition is that they're offering the life insurance industry. So to me, um, you know, that then creates somewhat of a call of action to the life insurance carriers to make sure that they're, um, you know, not focusing on just maintaining the status quo from over the past hundred years or 150 or so years in terms of how long they've been around um, and um, and looking to meet the changing customer expectations because a lot of those expectations are driven by organizations that have nothing to do with the industry but consumers are now expecting um, to uh, to you know be dealt with in a similar fashion as to how they might go uh, to purchase a retail um, uh, need or something like that through like an Amazon, Google, or or, or, or Apple or, or an organization like that. So you know, um, I, and and when I when I look at what what you all are doing with Ethos, you are absolutely aligning yourself with that changing customer expectation. So as, as I um, uh, look a few years out, you know, um, Peter, you know, what are some of the things that you think are going to play out both in the life space as well as in the P&C space over the next, let's say, 12 or 18 months and beyond? Oh, it's a really good question. I think in the life insurance space, you're going to see, I'm not sure, I can't put uh, a note on it, whether it's 18 months or whether it's five years or 10 years. But at some point, there's going to be some sort of shift of uh, Barnes and Nobles to Amazon, of people who are more and more interested in the self-serve model um, and less and less interested in the heavy hand-holding model. Um, you know, that that that's kind of undeniable. Um, I think that certain products are better geared towards self-serve versus um, handholding. But I also think with greater information online, consumers will be able to decide more and more so for themselves what products are right for them and be less willing to be sold to by whatever somebody is 
an agent is most commissioned on. Um, two, I think technology is going to continue to, I think carriers are going to experiment with technology on the front end. You know, there's going to be a thin veneer of an online company in front of a carrier, but that that's only a, a small part of it. And I, I don't think it's going to be successful for most incumbents who are going to try to innovate in that method or fashion. Um, you know, I can't speak to property casualty. It's a totally different business with different competitive dynamics, different unit economics, different consumer preferences and, and demands, right? Different regulatory environment. Uh, but life, I think it will take quite a while to change. Um, uh, it's a, it's, it's a slow and it's a, it's a, it's a more moderately moving industry. Um, as I uh, think about, you know, just the way information is being made available um, to the point that you made about uh, the, the digital channel and in, in terms of the front end um, with so much information being made available, I, I do think that uh, there's going to be some element of customers uh, that are going to self-service, to your point again, um, the information that they need um, and, and potentially start digitally. But, uh, you know, where needed and where more insights are, are required um, um, uh, you know, execute uh, the, the deeper levels of insights that's required through organizations um, that's been providing um, uh, the, the, the more um, subject matter expertise needed insights and, and information. Um, and then, of course, um, you know, uh, continue the process through the digital channels, which is where we started to see a lot move forward and, and towards um, in both the, uh, the life insurance as well as in the PNC and also the health insurance space. So um, as as I, um, you know, uh, just look at what the future holds from an industry perspective, based on what you uh, what, what, what you laid out, what are your thoughts about the future for ethos? You know, what's next? It's a really good question um, for us. What we're most interested in doing is protecting the next million families. And so continuing to grow, continuing to refine our product and process and offering to consumers um, uh, figure out how to more clearly articulate our value proposition, how to better serve families. That's that's what we're here to do. It's the purpose we serve. And so I would say more of what we're currently doing. Um, and then just operationally, Ethos is scaling as a company. Um, you know, soon we'll be at 100 team members and um, all the kind of logistics and infrastructure which come with building a, a real-life company. Um, and so, uh, yeah, basically to grow. Hey, as um, uh, I as we think about the transformations and uh, you know the the way that you all are providing for innovative capabilities for the industry, um, I, I I could imagine that it takes a strong leader like yourself that really drives a culture of innovation throughout your organization. So, you know, what are some of the things that you do to maintain that culture of innovation? Because, you know, uh, unfortunately, when, when I when I look at um, incumbents, not a lot of them are doing the types of things that you all have been able to come in and, and transform. So, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, how are you driving a culture of innovation for Ethos? It's in our DNA. Um, if you look at the, the teammates that we hire, where they come from, what they're used to doing. And then the culture that we're quite intentional about setting is one that is naturally innovative. It's one based on a bias to action. So realizing that things aren't going to be done perfectly, but realizing they must be done quickly. Um, 
working harder, faster, and smarter is not a multiple choice option in our, in our opinion. And we need to do all three. And the second thing I'd say is we are quite comfortable with things not working as intended if we are judicious in uh, looking at the results retroactively and thinking about what, what could we have done better and what will we do better the next time around. So one of our core values is a Ray Dalio uh, uh, principle, which is pain plus reflection equals progress. And so that's one of the things we think a lot about. And then a, a relentless focus on the customer. We treat our customers like we treat our own families. So, Peter, you know, one of the questions that I always ask, and, and I, I know you talked about um, your culture of innovation, but if there were folks that were listening uh, to you and I speak here today, um, and if they wanted to really transform the culture of innovation in their own organization, what advice would you give them to be able to do just that? I think it starts by being intellectually honest about what your strengths and weaknesses are as a company, as a team, as an individual, and then figuring out how can I leverage these strengths to do something, whether it's innovating in actuarial science or innovating in underwriting rules and, and, uh, and go to market, whether it's underwriting in dis- or innovating in distribution, innovating in Um, accounting. There are all these various business functions. And one of the great things about America is everybody's always thinking in a corporation about how can I get that extra 2%? How can I optimize my business and make it a little bit better? And if the life insurance industry really practiced that instead of purely risk management, um, the industry will start to look a bit different, I think. I think property and casualty insurance companies have uh, followed this practice more. It might be because their underwriting cycle, their 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 feedback cycles are much shorter uh, from underwriting to claims. But you know, Allstate, Geico, State Farm these are these are quite innovative companies that move at lightning speed and are ferocious to compete against. It's very difficult to compete against Allstate and Geico. Um, and so I think the biggest thing life insurance companies can do is really think about in every one's department based on what I'm good at, how can I get that extra 2%? How can I make my business a little bit better? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so, hey, Peter, you know, um, I, I do want to say thank you. Um, you know, this was a, a great conversation to learn um, a lot about what you all are doing with the, uh, at, at Ethos. Um, if there are folks that are listening that want to either learn more or get in contact with you or someone on your team, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, you can apply for a life insurance policy online or you can email um, a, a general desk uh, on our website. I'm not sure what it is. Maybe info at getethos.com. Well, hey, Peter, once again, I, I do want to say thank you. This was a great conversation and I look forward to continuing to follow the successes of Ethos. Thank you very much. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Insurance Innovators Unscripted Podcast, episode 89. And we're hitting up against that 100th episode in a few weeks. So if this is your first time listening, hit that subscribe button, share it with your colleagues, your friends, especially if you're getting a lot of value out of this podcast. So tune in next week for some more great insights into all of the transformations that's happening in this industry. So thanks again, and I'll see you next week.